five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Amazing. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on when you are listening to this. Thank you so much for downloading episode two of Sports and More. My name is Dean Millard, and I'm uh, thrilled that you either have come back after episode one or you are checking it out, checking us out for the first time. If you did miss episode one, uh, we had uh, Vegas Golden Knights GM and Brandon Wheat King owner Kelly McCrimmon and Edmonton-born actor Olivia Chang starring in Warrior right now on Cinemax, which you can get on the Crave app. Uh, she was uh, she was a former colleague of mine at Global Edmonton. So if you missed those two interviews, you can check that out. On the show today, we have a very uh, open and honest and deep conversation with former Edmonton Oiler Rob Shrimp. I'm really uh, excited about bringing you this interview, and I'm going to bring it to you in two parts because uh, one long interview would, uh, well, we just want to split it up a little bit. We're going to talk about life in one of the interviews. We're going to talk about hockey in one of the uh, other interviews. Uh, along the way, we will have the Myron French question of the day, and I will explain who Myron French is for you non-Brandonites. We will have our top three. We will have best or worst. John Candy characters, cool of the week, and the obscenely rich list. So we'll get to that as we roll along the show. But right now, let's start things out. By the way, I'm uh, I'm recording this episode during Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. So uh, if I periodically start talking about uh, something that is happening, that's why. It's right now 2-1 for the Blues in the second period. And uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep you updated by my uh, reactions uh, throughout this podcast. Um, before we get going, just a quick announcement that uh, the Cannabis 101 podcast will debut on Wednesday, hosted by myself. It's going to be an educational look at the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. We want to be your guide, and that'll come out on Wednesday. You can check it out at Podcast Alley at deanmillard.ca. That's where Sports and More is, that's where the Prospects Baseball Show is, and that's where Cannabis 101 is as well. So that will be coming out on Wednesday. Really excited about that, and uh, we're going to have some industry leaders, some experts, doctors, and we want to be your guide into whether you're, you know about cannabis, maybe you'll learn some more, or whether you're on the fence, uh, maybe you can we can swing you over to the wonderful plant that it is. So anyway... Uh, Blues, Bruins, Stanley Cup Final. I am excited. We won't spend a whole lot of time on that because it is going on uh, right now. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, I think most people are pulling for the Blues. It's just such a great story from last and no coach to trying to win their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. It's just hard not to like that great drama that comes with it. And the Boston Bruins, of course, beat the uh, Canucks in the Stanley Cup final a few years back. So 
I, I just hope for seven games. I hope for seven games. I hope for overtime in at least four of them. And I just want to be entertained. So I don't really have a, a horse in the race. But uh, if I had to pick, I say, I guess I'd be pulling uh, for the uh, St. Louis Blues. But the big story, even bigger than this Stanley Cup final, which is tough to say and odd to say, is the Toronto Raptors going to the NBA championship for the first time. Uh, they will start things off on Thursday against the Golden State Warriors. And it's just, it's amazing what that has done. Like, you know, I, I don't really care if people weren't basketball fans before and are now. I, th I think that's being a bit of a sports snob. I think, you know, if you're on and off with a team, like you're, uh, oh, I, I like these guys, I like the Oilers, but they suck now, so I'm not cheering for them. That's a little bit of a bandwagon issue. But just jumping on board uh, a sport and a, and a team, the only team in a country, I think is... I don't really have a problem with it. I know maybe there's some people that do have a problem with it, but uh, it is just, uh, it's captivated the country. Um, you know, people are admitting that they weren't basketball fans before and they are now. And I just wonder what it will do for basketball in our country. Uh, you know, we've had some really great moments. Of course, we invented the game. Dr. James Naismith from Canada invented the game. Uh, Steve Nash, brilliant. Uh, you know, and now the Toronto Raptors making a run to the NBA final, led by Kawhi Leonard, who you know everybody is just hoping is not one and done. And, and you know, and then there's the uh, the obvious jokes out there. I said to my father-in-law at dinner last night, I said, "You finally have a Toronto team you can depend on," uh, because everybody's poking fun at the Leafs. But um, you know, somebody took a video the other night from uh, high above Toronto, and you could just hear the hum of the city on Saturday night. It was really, really awesome to see. So. Looking forward to the NBA final, looking forward to the Stanley Cup final, and, uh, you know, just you just want to be entertained. Uh, do you think the Raptors can win? I'm not so sure, um, but we'll see. Kawhi Leonard, he is a special player. The Golden State Warriors have a few of special players, so it's going to take a strong effort from the uh, supporting cast for sure. Uh, congratulations go out to the Ruin Naranda Huskies for winning the Memorial Cup. And how about this story? Mario Pouliot wins back-to-back -back Memorial Cups. He did it last year with Acadie Bathurst. The first coach to win back-to-backs with two different teams. And only the third coach to win a Memorial Cup with two different teams. Don Hay did it with Kamloops in Vancouver. Brian Maxwell did it with Medicine Hat and the Spokane Chiefs in 1991. And um, so congratulations to uh, the Quebec Memorial Cup champs from the Quebec League. The uh, Ebenezer Prospects, congratulations to them. 2-0 on the weekend. Uh, they will play again on Thursday, and then they're uh, home again on Saturday. And uh, you can ch ch check out the ICU video broadcast at yairtv.com. And uh, good for the Prospects. By the way, Episode 2 of the Prospects Baseball Show now out wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Jordan Blundell. And I, we're joined by one of his players today. We had a fun, fun conversation. All right, so the Myron French question of the day. Do you think the success of the Raptors will lead to another NBA team in Canada? If yes, is it automatically Vancouver again? Also, if yes, when? Five years, seven years, ten years? I threw this out on uh, Twitter 
uh, from at Duck Millard and uh, the basketball show hosted by uh, Paul Sir and uh, Brian Swain, who uh, I hope to get on this program at some point uh, during its uh, tenure. Uh, Paul says, yes, within five years, Dean, most likely Vancouver, which which I think I agree with. I, I really think, first of all, there should be another uh, professional team in Canada in the NBA and in Major League Baseball. I'm not so c- concerned or care about the NFL coming to Canada because I really like the CFL, uh, but I think there should be another NBA team, and I agree with Paul, sir. It should be in Vancouver. Kevin Klaus says, how about Edmonton through OEG? OEG seems like a good business group uh, with all their entities in Ontario, I believe. Now, I don't know. If, I, I just don't think there's a, um, enough of an appetite in Edmonton. Uh, I think we have a strong basketball community, uh, but population-wise, I just don't know if we could sustain an NBA team. But I guess you never know. Uh, I, I would think it would be unlikely that something like that would come to Edmonton. Ken Liu says, ideally, a return of Vancouver and Seattle, realistically, just Seattle. If, if you get Vancouver, you kind of, you, sh- you should get Seattle back because that's just a, a perfect natural rivalry. So I think that would be, um, uh, you know, a bit of a no-brainer for the NBA to do that. Uh, Harold says, I doubt the NBA goes down that road again. So there are people that are saying, you know, there, there's just, the NBA is not going to, uh, once bitten, twice shy or whatever it is. Um, but I just think with the success of the Raptors right now is has planted the seed and you take another run at it in Vancouver. At some point maybe we'll, with this discussion, we'll get somebody on that knows a little bit more about why specifically things didn't go so well. Uh, Andrew says, oh man, I'd like to have one in Edmonton. I'd like to have one of the remaining three major sport leagues in Edmonton, but probably Vancouver gets another NBA team in four years, depending on how good Toronto is next year. And a lot of it's going to depend on Kawhi Leonard. Mark says absolutely no other Canadian city is getting an NBA team. And Scott just sent a uh, gif of uh, a minion. I think that's a minion saying uh, no. I, I did go to one of those movies uh, with a uh, a goddaughter of mine at one point. So that is the Myron French question of the day. By the way, this is who Myron French is, if you're, if you're wondering, if you've tuned into the last two episodes. He was my high school law teacher, and we took a, a class from him, my, my friend Jeff and I, and he would always start out every show, or every class, rather, with a question of the day. 70% of the time it had to do with law and school, 30% of the time, it was just about wild stuff. At one point, he told us about uh, uh, his extracurricular activities with his girlfriend, and it was a very interesting time. And sometimes the, the question would be the whole class, and it was never going to be on the exam. So you just listen to uh, stories. He also ran something in Edmonton, or in Brandon called the Chip Truck, and it was in the summer. It was always at the fair. But it sometimes it would be in like a the Safeway parking lot or something. The best chips I have ever had. You know, New York fries pretty good. And by the way, New York fries. If you guys want to advertise, just uh, shoot me a DM. Uh, but the chip truck, brilliant, brilliant fries. And as I say that, the Boston Bruins have now scored a goal to tie it up at two apiece. Because Charlie McAvoy. I don't think that was that great of a shot, either. Uh, I wasn't totally paying attention. I was talking about, I was thinking about the chips from Myron French, but 
they were so delicious. So that's who Myron French is. It's the Myron French question of the day in his honor because we would start law class every every day with the question of the day and it would lead to uh, so many great things for us as students because you know most of my I'll be honest most of the time I spent in that class uh, we made uh, yeah that's not although Bennington looked like he was slow to get up after one of those shots uh, so Charlie McAvoy ties it up Bennington did not he he should have had that for sure anyway this law class my friend Jeff and I we would basically make uh, like uh, superstar rock bands. Like I would have Bruce Dickinson as my uh, lead singer and like, like John Paul Jones as a bass player and stuff like that. So did not learn a ton, but had a lot of fun with the uh, Myron French question of the day. So that's what uh, the question of the day is today. Do you think the success of the Raptors will lead to another NBA team in Canada? As for last week's question of the day, I'll get to a couple of responses here that were sent in to me, and I thank you uh, very much for doing it. Thomas says, I've never officially been fired. However, on more than one occasion, I just stopped showing up and let my employer draw their own conclusions. So so you kind of fired them, uh, Thomas, in in that respect uh, by just uh, not showing up. Uh, Holland Acid, at Holland Acid Inc. on Twitter a uh, good friend of mine, his name is uh, Steve Cole. Uh, they are in the acidization business, not the one that you think. Uh, they do deliver uh, acid, not the one you think, though. But anyway, he has this story. He says, uh, from Steve, the new owners bought the restaurant I cooked at, and they fired all the existing staff to run it their own way. They didn't stay in business long after that. Hashtag DKs. That was a restaurant in Brandon. That was... Um, um, I guess you would cut, define it as the uh, typical greasy spoon restaurant. A uh, lot of deep fried food. Um, very interesting. Some uh, interesting stories that have come out. Uh, maybe we'll uh, tell on a podcast one day. Uh, Leonard says it wasn't a firing per se, but they lumped me in with the assistant manager who they claimed was stealing. They changed their story to, um, well, you turned 18 and we had to give you a raise. Then after one year, we had to give you another one. We couldn't afford to keep you. So we're firing you for one reason, but it's actually a different reason. And uh, yeah, sorry, you're out of luck because we can't afford you anymore. Tough luck in business. Moving on now to our top three. We are talking uh, top three favorite hockey countries that are not your own, meaning I could not pick Canada in lieu of the World Hockey Championship just wrapping up, congratulations to Finland. So your top three favorite hockey countries, not your own. Uh, I always like to go with an honorable mention. And my honorable mention is Poland from the video game Ice Hockey for Nintendo. Remember, you had the skinny guy, medium guy, fat guy. It was four on four. And somehow Poland had a team. They got into the big six of that video game. Uh, I don't remember watching a lot of uh, Polish hockey games, but they were in there. And uh, if you got the right mix, they were a force to be reckoned with. So that's my honorable mention going with Poland. Number three, I'm going with the Americans simply because they have turned into a great rival for Canada. Always used to be Russia, Canada. And then in the 90s, especially with that World Cup in 96, the United States really uh, showed their dominance and have been a definitive rival of Canada ever since. And there have been some really outstanding players uh, some that that 96 rivalry was excellent. So I'm going with uh, the United States, um, not so much because I'm a big United States fan, 
but I, I am a fan of uh, how they've uh, turned uh, an average hockey program into a world power with their hothouse program uh, with USA Hockey program. Number two, I'm going with Finland. And one of the reasons is they have changed the goaltending position over the years. And, you know, for, for a long time, they were considered a goalie factory. So I've always liked that. I'm a big Timu Solani fan looking at a autographed Solani jersey in the Marsh studio right now. Um, I was, you know, Yari Curry was a pretty awesome player as well. I, I have liked the Finns skill and toughness they have an edge to them that as a canadian you you kind of really respect at least i do anyway so number two is uh, finland and number one for me is russia vladimir trechak is one of the biggest reasons why uh but just the uh the the, the skill you know wayne gretzky is the greatest player to ever play the game but there have been some ultra skilled russian players uh, Pavel Datsuk, Pavel Bure, Alexander Mogilny, Alexander Ovechkin, Malkin, um, you know, Harlamov in his day, you know, if you want to go back, like, the, you know, you wonder why Canada won the Summit Series. Well, they went after that guy. But I just, and, you know, there haven't been a lot. Like, I, I really, one of, the, one of the regrets I have about sports in general is that we didn't see Vladislav Trachak in the NHL. The Red Army, I think it was Red Army versus the Montreal Canadiens game on New Year's Eve. is one of the best games ever. I used to have it PVR'd. Um, oh, man, the Boston Bruins are really humming here. Three and a half to go in the uh, second period. But I, I love I love the rush. You know, the, the five that uh, in the 80s that were so dominant, uh, the stories that come out and, you know, the stuff that they had to deal with. Uh, it's just amazing. So my favorite non-Canada hockey country has to be Russia. Uh, just a couple of replies that came in on Twitter. Uh, Corey Meyer, by the way, Corey the Butcher on uh, Twitter, uh, Acme Meats, great stuff. I got some duck breast a while ago. It was absolutely delicious. Says, in no particular order, Finland, Sweden, Germany. Uh, so uh, the Scandinavian countries and Germany getting a vote. Uh, Ryan Van Horn says, Finland, Sweden, and do I have to name a third? Okay, then, the United States, but only because it's so much like Canada. Uh, Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey says Finland, Slovakia, and Germany. So the Germans getting another vote. Uh, I was going to go with Czechoslovakia uh, be, just because of the Stasny brothers, uh, but I ended up going with the United States instead. Uh, JT replied it to say none, none, and none. Uh, Sweden, Finland, USA from Bruce. Zook says Czech Republic, one. Whoever is playing against the U.S., two. And whoever is playing against Russia, three. So that's... Uh, pretty clever. Mike Gibson, Finland, Sweden, Germany. Germany, get this three times Germany has been mentioned. I did not know uh, the Germany. You know what? I, it's Leon Dreisaitl, right? How did I not figure that out? I guess the uh, Euler fans have been big fans of uh, Germans. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, the Olympics was, was uh, when they came so close that the Olympics was pretty cool as well. Finland, Sweden, Denmark, uh, says Matt, says uh, spent the World Juniors in Finland. After Canada failed out, we jumped ship and got to see them win on home ice. That would be a, a great reason to pick Finland in that regard. Uh, Finland, Sweden, Germany from KSK. Germany, Sweden, and Russia from Kevin. So that's the dry sidle effect. Switzerland, Finland, and Great Britain from Steve. Uh, that's uh, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Finland, Latvia, and the Czech Republic. Uh, Sweden, Britain, and Great Britain, and Germany, and the list goes on. Uh, this is what a Canadian question to ask. 
And uh, this one says, uh, no disrespect, Millard, but the uh, hottest topic currently is Raptors, and you're chanting hockey countries. Uh, well, we did talk about the uh, Raptors with the Myron French question of the day, and we did throw that out on Twitter. And I don't chant. I'm not a witch. So um, I don't know where you think I'm uh, chanting about. Uh, Switzerland, Russia, and Sweden from a Bleeding Oil uh, to round out this uh, segment. So that was our uh, top three favorite hockey countries that are not your own. Uh, my honorable mention went to uh, Poland from Nintendo Ice Hockey. I had the US 3, Finland 2, Russia 1. Uh, our uh, guest today is going to be Rob Shrimp. He's played in a whole bunch of countries, so we'll ask him maybe what his favorite European stop was in his hockey career, but um, had a, a deep, open, honest, and interesting conversation with the former Oiler yesterday. And we will get to that after we get to know a little bit more about Rob Shrimp. Time for the bio. Rob Shrimp grew up in Fulton, New York, playing elite hockey before moving to Canada and suiting up for the Mississauga Ice Dogs of the OHL. He was named Rookie of the Year, but three games into his second season, was traded to the London Knights, where he put up extraordinary numbers, 304 points in 179 games, and won a Memorial Cup. A first-round draft pick of the Oilers in 04, he became a lightning rod for Oiler fans and one of the most popular Oiler prospects ever. He played just seven games in total for Edmonton before being claimed off waivers by the Islanders in 09, and finishing his NHL tour with Atlanta. Shrimp found offensive success playing in Europe before retiring in 2018 and joining up with Veda Sport, spreading the word about endocannabinoid nutrition, or ECN. Shrimp shooting stars! Rob Shrimp is our guest today here on Sports and More, uh, a man I... Uh, First met back in 2004 when he was drafted by the Edmonton Oilers and he appeared regularly on the Pipeline Show with myself and Guy Flaming. Rob, thank you so much for being with us. Before we go any further, I called you about 15 minutes ago uh, when we were taping this and you said to me, just give me 10 minutes. I have a gator in my pond. So I was like, wow, that's, yep. a, that's, that's the most interesting <laughs> answer I've received from anybody. Uh, tell, you're in Florida, so tell us about gator wrestling. That's funny. Yeah, no, I just cast on my bike, went out to catch some bass, and I had a worm on, and I started a couple casts. All of a sudden, this thing started chasing it, and I was like, that's a gator. So I reeled him in. I just kind of roped him in, and I got him to the shoreline, and I, um, I got him. <laughs> I got him. I got him. I hit him with a stick. And I got, and I had, I've always wanted to catch a gator. It's been a passion of mine. And you caught me right at the right time because I got my first. All right. Well, we're going to get uh, pictures of that up on the website for sure. So this is not a regular <laughs> occurrence, like a Sunday afternoon for the shrimp family. They don't go out. I mean, wrestling. for me, anytime I see him on the, anytime I see him on the golf course, I, I don't flee. I, I want to go and get it. And I try to find the angle and it just never worked out. This one, actually, I lured him right in. So <laughs> it's only, it's like a three and a foot, half, maybe four footer, but uh, it was still, the adrenaline was going once he got closer and closer. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, he, he's only a four-foot gator with, like, just strong claws as ever and razor-sharp <laughs> teeth. Like, I don't think there's an only four-foot yeah. part of this. Uh, uh, I, I went so bad. My mom, I actually, as a kid, we were we always went to South Carolina for uh, to Myrtle Beach for, for vacation, and a friend of ours lived in Charleston, and we always go to his house, and I, and I got caught a couple times. They'd be chatting, and I'd be over, like, within 10, 15 feet of the gators trying to figure out my angle. 
So this has been something on my mind since I was about eight or nine. <laughs> my mom, when I moved down here, was like, stay away from the Gators. That was like her advice when I first said I was moving down here. I'm glad uh, Sports and More of the Podcast was able to capture the moment. We, we captured the spirit of the thing like uh, Dickie Dunn in, uh, in Slapshot did. So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, so Rob, thanks so much for being here. Before we uh, get into uh, the nuts and bolts, um, I I know everybody has regrets. Do you have regrets about not scoring twice in the shootout when I was in net during the rookie game? Is that something something that has always haunted you? I haven't been able to sleep. I haven't been able to sleep since, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. As my brother Darren told me before that shootout, he said he's going to try the lacrosse move. And and you would have scored twice on me if the puck wouldn't ended up in the crowd. But, uh, you know, th- I know that was such a f- that was a really fun moment for me. I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going against this first round pick. And uh, I know you and Dylan Stanley was one of the other shooters. And, of course, Bob Stoffer. But yep. uh, that was a lot of fun. And, and, and I think it was a neat introduction for you for Oilers fans as well. Yeah, it was really cool. Those games were always great too, especially the, you know, those guys at the U of A were always great about it and uh, put out a good show. And they were, I mean, I think I played three or four of them. They were really good games too. So you know, and then to have that little interaction, Dylan got a chance to show his capabilities and skill. It was pretty cool. So yeah. I definitely had fun with it. Yeah, and that th- that barn is uh, just a crazy awesome place to watch a game from as well. It, so. it really is. It's got that intimate, almost like uh, fans right over you kind of feeling, the old school barn kind of feeling. You know, there's not many of those left. Yeah, totally. Everything's more modern and bigger. So the last one really, I think, was the Joe Lewis had that really steep stands where like the fans were over the ice kind of thing. Remember back in the day when Buffalo was ranked, that's where we grew up watching games. It was the same thing. I, we had the nosebleeds one time. And I sat in the, I sat right in the alleyway and held onto the bar because it was so steep. I thought it was going to fall off. Yeah, the old Winnipeg Arena, I was going to say sorry, is exactly like that. When you're in the nosebleeds, yep. uh, you, you're literally scared of falling down. <laughs> straight, like straight down the summit, it felt like. Um, but if, for being on the ice-wise, it was a really cool feeling. It made it feel like the fans were almost in the game. Uh, Rob Tramp is our guest today, and uh, n- not only do we have that uh, uh, shootout in common, but, but but we've also been on the journey of life with depression and anxiety. And I, I think it's great that both of us uh, have, have talked about it publicly because that's how you get other people, from my experience, to talk about it publicly. I was very public about it when I was on uh, on uh, my uh, sports night show on TSN 1260. And But, you know, we both know, Rob, that always hasn't been the case. It always hasn't been easy to just say to people and and unfortunately um for for bad reasons some people have suffered consequences from speaking out about it and and saying listen i'm dealing with this mental health issue and unfortunately even today there are still people that maybe don't understand it yeah yeah definitely i think um for some sense what you know it's a lot of the answers are are like what's there to be sad about or what's it but uh, what's there to be depressed about kind of the mostly said thing like what you live a great life that's not i didn't choose it's not like i wake up in the morning i'm like oh i want to be depressed and think about very scary thoughts that's not my choice <laughs> if i had a choice i'd wake up happy as, as um as i could be every day but that's not how it is with depression it just kind of comes at you and it hits you but um educating and, and more people talking about it uh gives it a chance to educate and tell you and it's not uh I don't want to say it's not something that people have to believe in, but uh, it's the thing that you should probably respect people that have it a little bit better. So the people that, you know, like us that have it, you, I don't have to hide it. And I don't have to like that. It's no longer my Achilles heel. Cause I've come out with it. It scared me to talk about it for a long time. I hit it. The time I was 12, I had an incident, uh, incident and 
you know, it would pop its head up every couple of years and, and be scary and have some bad thoughts. And, and, um, I hit it. And now that I, like you mentioned, I've been able to talk about it. Um, it, it's a lot more comforting and comforting to, you know, when you're having a bad day or one of those, one of those days, people aren't like, what the, what the hell is wrong with this guy? They, they literally know like, oh, Strip, you must be not having a good day. Let's, you know, be cognizant over that. You know, one of the things I found, and I'm sure this is the the same for you, but, you know, your your inner support team, you know, for me, it's my wife and, and I have a couple of really close friends, um, you know, and family, family as well. But, you know, having that one, two or three or four people that are right with you and, and they do understand or, or they do. Um, you know, they're, they're educated about it. I, I think that's one of the most important things. And, and like you said, you don't wake up every day and say, oh, it's Tuesday. I feel like being depressed. But when you do wake up that way, having that support system, I think is one of the most important things next to having a, you know, a competent doctor and, and the right medicine. I agree. You know, so like if you don't, if they're not, if you didn't have that support system, you wake up next to that person, they don't understand what's going on. You would then start your day off first with depression, second with a fight or like a weird interaction with that close person to you. Right. That's not really how you want to start the day off. If you're, if you're depressed, it really isn't. First thing would be, you need is that like, Hey, there's going to be a two. Oh, all right. I know you're having a bad day. Like let's just, you know, get through the day. We're good. Um, that support really helps a lot and it, it helps you not tailspin, you know, some of these days, you know, not proud of it, but like, you know, have those days. And by the time the afternoon rolls around, you're like, screw it. I'm going to get beers or whatever. You just try to like drown it out or ignore it or get it to go away with masking device. And, and it just, then that tailspin. So, um, being able to be comfortable with it and, and acknowledging it and having the support system really, it helps you conquer those days. Those shitty, excuse my language, those bad days. You uh, retired in 2018, and now you're involved with uh, Veda Sport, which is uh, you know something. When I, when I was reading up on it, uh, is very very exciting. Uh, I'll let you explain uh, what Veda Sport is and, and how you came to uh, get involved and and uh, certainly benefit from it. So Veda is a company we we came up with the line Veda Sport. The company did, and that was in mind with this um, Veda Sport sponsors the National Women's Hockey League. Um, inside of that, there's a bunch of Olympic athletes. So we want to make sure we had a product that was compliant with WADA and something that athletes could take comfortably and not have to worry about testing. So that's where Veda Sport is. Veda Wellness is, is a different line where it has the allotted amount that it's under. Like the, the farm bill is like 0.3%, I believe, is the amount of THC. In that, and it's very specific. You can't, you really can't get this uh, a high off it or a buzz off of that low of it, uh, THC. It's more that number of THC is really um, important to carry the cannabinoids inside your body to where they need to go. So that's what it's there for. It's not a psychoactive. You don't, you could drink a whole bottle of the wellness line. You could drink 10 bottles of the whole wellness line and you're not going to get high off it. You probably would feel like crap because you drink 10 bottles of oil. But <laughs> that being said, <laughs> the low, that's the educational piece for people right now. Just let them understand that that, that number is very, very, very low. Um, but I, I got to the product when I got diagnosed. I mean, I knew I had depression. I hid from that for a long time. Didn't really, I didn't tell anybody. I was embarrassed of it. And it was, I'm a little bit of a control freak. So the fact that I couldn't control it really bugged me. Um, and I got diagnosed my last year playing. I, I finally went to the doctor because I started getting these, well, that then were diagnosed as the anxiety attacks for about eight months. I thought they were like mini, like mini strokes. My hands were going really cold. My breathing was really restricted. I would have numb arms, all these things. And, and I was like self-diagnosing, still trying to be stubborn, not go. At that time, my wife was pregnant. So I'm like, I, I got to get to the doctor and get right. And I went and, you know, they gave me a diagnosis of anxiety and uh, depression. And 
you know, at that time I asked to use CBD and the doc laughed at me almost like a, like a, huh. And I was like, Oh, I guess, wow. I guess not. <laughs> so then he said, no, we tried this, uh, antidepressants and Xanax. So, um, before like my dad was a factory worker and he, he blew his back out pretty bad twice at the factory and, and opioids were you know pre- prevalent in his life. And I understand the pills. So I was kind of eager not to be on the pills. Um, the Xanax, they did work when I got anxiety attacks, I would take one, but I turned into a mummy. The anxiety goes away, but I would just be like, you can't even barely function. So I was eager to get out of that. And that's how I got the beta. I started taking the CBD. They were at a pro camp that we were doing down in Florida and I kind of got a chance to talk to them and explaining what I was going through. And they told me the, you know, the benefits of CBD and how it's not also getting, it's not going to get you high, but you get all the benefits. And about at that time I was having a hard time sleeping. So I had a couple anxiety attacks at nighttime. So it scared me to go to bed every night. I would sit there and be like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And I, essentially what I was doing was sending myself into an anxiety attack by just thinking about it. <clears throat> so I wasn't sleeping much. And about a weekend, I, I slept like a baby after using the product. And I was like, that's, I mean, it was really my own, um, my own proof. That's all I needed. It, it really helped me. And then I started taking it. Religiously. And two months in, my wife's like, Hey, you haven't taken a Xanax in a while. I was like, you know what? You're right. So this stuff, it really took away for me, sleeping problems, my anxiety issues, it stopped coming. And just recently, after about eight months on, I've, I'm actually off antidepressants. All, all the pills, sleeping pills are gone. Xanax are gone for me, and antidepressants are gone for me. And that was the issue too when I got to this and speaking about it, because um, the fact that I got on antidepressants was used, it was almost essentially the reason why I didn't get my contract back with the team I was playing with. And then they also somebody had spread the word to another team that I was going to go sign with. And when I went to sign there, they said we hear that you were. Um, messed up in the head and taking medicine and that was their reasoning wow so that was how it got me to come out and speak about it because i was like you know what it went from point a the story was this i went there got diagnosed it got helped and i wound up playing really good hockey and we had a good chance of winning to um the, the b side of the story was that i was messed up in the head and taking medicine so i was like wait a minute what, what, what happens when it goes to see what's the story going to be then and then also that day that I got that phone call, I quit. I retired. I'm like, that's it. I'll never play again. I've had enough. That's not how, that's not how you treat people. It's not what I want. I don't want to surround myself with these kinds of people. I will, I will do something else. That's enough. Uh, it's a final kick. So that's how I got to being more kind of got thrown into talking about my problem, but I, now it's a blessing because it really has made me feel a lot better. It's helped a lot of people. Other athletes have really sent me notes saying, thank you for talking and, and speaking about this. I have this too. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it a lot easier to know that you have a, um, almost a support system or a community to, to be backing you up. Cause like you said before, maybe 10, 12 years ago, you would have talked about this stuff. You would, you would have been a kook and you would have been probably ostracized. And that's the thing when I got, they said, let's do antidepressant. I was like, I just said, please don't tell anybody was exactly what I said. Cause I felt weird. I know that you hear the word antidepressant is already comes like a, comes right. with a stigma. So first mm-hmm. of all, I hit, I hit my depression. So I didn't want people to know about it. So when they found out I was taking antidepressants, I, I don't want pity and I don't want fake, like, Hey, buddy, you okay? Like I, I didn't want attention. Like I don't, that's not why, you know what I mean? Like I didn't want that out. I didn't want people to know that because it made me the stigma part of it was really like, I, I just didn't want to be the kook, which, <laughs> what they called me for the next time I went to sign a contract. I was like, Oh, well, I guess that's why you don't speak about it. 
And that's so that's so damaging to everybody when somebody feels that way. And uh, you know, my my wife and my father in law went to see Corey Hirsch speak uh, the other day, and he said, when, you know, when he kind of uh, you know came out with his information uh, when he was with the Canucks, he said, you know, a third of his teammates they, they thought they didn't they thought he was a, a bad teammate because he had these issues, and and that's the, just the the exact opposite of what should be. You should be like, wow. Okay, you you have these issues. Let's fix them. Hockey is secondary, and let's go on with it. And if you can play hockey, it's great. And and by the way, uh, CBD oil and I I've been on it uh, for for a, a little while, and it is has has really changed my life. I like you, uh, wean myself off uh, prescription pills, and it was one of you know, listen. And by no means am I or I think you saying don't take prescription pills. For some people, no, yeah. it is necessary, and you you should definitely talk with your doctor. Uh, but I made the transition like you did, and and you know the the pills were working for me in in some respects, but in some respects they weren't. So uh, CBD and and you guys at, at Veda Sport, uh, you know endocannabinoid nutrition ENC is is kind of what you guys are dealing with. So I think it's important for people to make the right choice for themselves, but most important. If, you know, somebody gets that reaction like you did, well, of course you're not going to. And and then you are going to feel ashamed. And that's the exact opposite feeling that anybody should ever have for having a disease. Like my wife has gone through cancer twice, Rob. Not once did I blame her for getting cancer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really in the same realm, right? <clears throat> that's not a choice. Um, that's great. That's, how's she doing now? Oh, she's wonderful now. Yeah, she dealt. Well, actually, the when we did the uh, shootout with the Bears was right in the middle of her chemo treatment, so it was a long time. And then she was uh, diagnosed with a, a, a rare sarcoma uh, that that we've taken care of. And you know, she's she's healthy and she's living, and and it's great. And and she used uh, 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 CBD oil when she had uh, her tumor in her back, and 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 it shrunk a little bit for, for things like that. So yeah, uh, it's listen, it's for depre- antidepressant, uh, for depression, anxiety. Uh, we could go on and on and on about this plant cannabis and and I will be doing that on the Cannabis 101 podcast about the benefits of this whether you want or do not want the high that can come with the cannabis uh, there are there are so many uses and I I wonder what what would you think when you were playing uh, in the uh, American Hockey League and, and at times in the National Hockey League what would you estimate the percentage of cannabis users on teams back when you were playing uh, massive I mean I'm not going to blow the horn I don't get it's really there's a lot of I mean there's a lot of guys what I'm not no names or anything like that, but that it was at that time it was like especially with that schedule, bus rides and all that. It's it's tough, and that's that stuff at that time. You know, I, I used it, and it was at that time it was almost to run away. It was a masking. I didn't realize it was even a medicine at that time. Right. I didn't have the education. I just was like trying to get away from being depressed. It made me happy. So I'll, instead of thinking about suicidal thoughts, I would be then joking around, laughing, enjoying my life, which. You know, now mm-hmm. fast forward 10, 12 years, it's now it's more prominent. Now we're like, wait a minute, that actually does work. And doctors have done the research and they're the ones speaking of it. So you're not just the guy that goes out and has weed. And, and he, you know, at some points it's you're a stoner, if people find out, or you're, a, yeah. there's this like stigma that goes with that. But for me on a daily basis with the cannabis plant, it helps me get to the point where I can be a human being. I go about my day, I use it, and then I go and I play golf, I go do my stuff, I do whatever I have to do on a daily basis. Um, otherwise it's like, I get the dark days more often than not. When I like with the CBD stuff, I said, I take, I, you know, it replaced my antidepressants. Like, it, I, like you said, I'm not saying everybody dumped their pills out and if you need them, you need them. But for me, it got to the point where with the CBD, I was just every morning waking up springing and, and ready. And I, I was like, you know, I think I might be ready to get off that stuff. I don't want to take the rest of my life. So 
let me give it a shot and I feel great. So that's, you know, the, the thing about talking about it and whenever everybody starts saying their story, speaking their speak, it lets you know that there's other, there is other things out there, you know, for, if I didn't meet the CBD company beta, then I, I don't, I'd probably still be t- having to take Xanax every other day when the anxiety attacks were coming. Um, Cause I wouldn't have known. So it just helps when people just speak and they just say, Hey, there, uh, there is other stuff. Give it a try. And then it gives people the opportunity to not be just stuck on a one way street. Now your doors open a little bit wider. You got two way street and you can either use one thing or you can use the other thing. That's more natural or ben- more beneficial for you um, inside your body, especially you're talking your liver, you're talking your kidneys, digestion, this stuff. If you take, pills, opioids, or, or other prescription, you, you know, longevity wise, it, you just, it breaks your body down. It really does. And that's, that's the risk of it. And that's the reason why it's kind of very prominent that we, you know, educate people enough to let them know there is other things to help with their issues. For sure. You, you, we're joined by Rob Trent, former NHLer, uh, former first round pick of the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, now hooked up with uh, Veda Sport. And you last played in the NHL in 2011. You went to Europe. You came back for uh, a season with the Portland Pirates. Um, and, you know, we're legal in Canada as far as cannabis in, in different forms. Uh, and, and I would think you would have saw a big change, maybe an increase in, in players using it in place of other things. And, and now, uh, you know, I would love to see the day where uh, and listen, I've talked to enough former NHL players to, to hear the stories about guys getting on the plane and grabbing a six pack or a, a, a Mickey or whatever it might be and drowning yep. it. And, yep. you know, what about uh, maybe jumping on and, and, and grabbing a muffin instead of getting drunk and you have a, a, an edible that uh, takes the chill yeah, off on yeah. a plane instead you know, will, will we ever like what, what do you think, which uh, of the big four NFL, MLB, NHL, or NBA, do you think will embrace cannabis as a replacement in some cases for prescription pills and opiates and alcohol on a plane? Like, do you think we'll ever get there? And, and how soon? What do you think will be the first sport? I, it's tough to say, uh, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't really know that answer. It's just the thing is, is I think that some of the decision makers or people who have the, what do you want to call it, power per se, someone maybe still think it's better to grab a bourbon and, and you know, a six pack. It's just because that's what they did. Um, that's, that's a little bit narrow minded. You want to open it and be more open to if there's alternatives that are, these things are being proven that it's, it's, it's beneficial for one, two, it's natural. So there's no, like we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, liver, you're talking kidneys, you're talking digestion system, intestines, like a 12 pack a night, or let's say, you know, you use the word, a joint, you smoke a joint or eat a muffin, right. um, whatever that may, may be the terminology on it, but what's better for you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why? Well, I don't know. So I don't know that stuff because it, I see it a bit down here in Florida as well. So it's a little bit older down here in Naples. It's, you know, they hear THC and the, the, the fur goes up, but oh, I can't do that. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> let me just educate you just a little bit. I'm not going to force it on you, but I'm just, I want you to understand, like you're taking 30 medicines right now and there's other components to this, right? We don't have the psychoactive, so you're not going to be getting high for one. You, you can, you know, this stuff is not always in place of, it also can help while you're taking it. When, when I had opioids for my surgery and for my back that I had, uh, I broke my back in Long Island. Um, I had bit, bad digestion problems from it. Like 10, 12 days in, I would not go to the bathroom. Um, so these things, kind of the cannabis CBD stuff is helping, you know, kind of, help that digestion and help your stomach so you're not getting stuffed up or those kind of things. So it's not always in place, but also it, it can help at the same time. And then, um, you know, instead of being on opioids for three weeks, maybe you're on opioids for 10 days. And when you can get off that, just have a CBD where it's taking away that pain that you need to be taken away. 
or if it's a stronger problem, you can add THC to it. There's plenty of uh, uh, research and plenty of numbers that can tell you what pain tolerance or what this strand of marijuana or THC will do for this such thing, back pain, a blown disc, like if, you know what I mean? They have all those ratios. They're getting to the, really to the science of it, which is helpful. Um, and also what they're doing is, is, is showing like a warning sign, almost like if you choose opioids, you have this percentage of being addicted. Do you want to still take it? And right. I think that's brilliant because some people don't even know. It's not like everybody that has a, a opioid addiction went into it with a plan of, I'm going to eat a ton of opioids. Some, some people had real pain. They took it and then all of a sudden, you know, there's only a couple of ways it goes. Some people are allergic to it and they have a bad reaction. There's also super high to that opioid. Like there's a super high to it. Like, mm-hmm. and that's what the problem is. They say it's real close to heroin. I don't know what heroin's like, but the opioids, when I took, when I took them, it was, there was a high component to it that you really like it. That's scary. It is scary. Because then you're not, then you're, then you're in your own mind. You're like, oh yeah, I got pain. I got pain. No, you don't. You're just saying that so you can justify eating the perk or Vicodin. I had a friend who had a real bad leg injury and got surgery and uh, literally said, this stuff they're giving me is so good. I can't wait to get more. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, that is one of the scariest things uh, you can hear. So uh, Rob is hooked up. You're, you're working with uh, Veda Sport. Uh, you can check it out at vedasport.pro. I, I love that you guys have some uh, vapes and some sprays and some roll-ons uh, so people can uh, check all of that out. back to uh, part two of our interview with uh, Rob Shrimp in uh, just a, a little bit. It'll uh, deal a little bit more on the hockey side of things. His uh, time with the Oilers, his time with the Islanders, his time in the KHL. Uh, some uh, interesting things you will not want to miss. And uh, Rob was uh, very open and honest about you know how he handled things as a member of the Edmonton Oilers. So uh, definitely worth sticking around to hearing the back half of that conversation. Uh, right now, though, we're going to do Something called uh, Best or Worst, and uh, I've been throwing it out on Twitter to start us off. Would you like to hear the best or the worst of something? Two weeks in a row now, it's been the best, and overwhelmingly in favor of the best. So uh, just so it doesn't always be the best, I might have to go to a coin flip to to work in some worst because I have some worst experiences as well. But we're going with best today, and I decided to go with the best short boys trip. Uh, This is a... a trip that I went on in uh, 2005, I think it was, and it involved uh, Denver, Neil Young, and 24 hours. This is best or worst. So I had won a contest from Air Miles and ended up winning something called Win Your Trip Your Way. It included uh, 75,000 Air Miles that I could use on a trip. So we had planned to go... I use it on our wedding. We were going to get married in Mexico and we were going to take uh, our, you know, pay for ourselves and my nephews and my in-laws, my uh, wife's parents. And that was going to take care of the 75,000. I thought, oh, well, that's work. Works out great. Uh, unfortunately, a cancer uh, gone in the way. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, one of the reasons I have a, uh, pardon my uh, English, a bleep you. Uh, one of the reasons I have a uh, FU cancer tattoo on my right arm. Uh, 
anyway, she defeated cancer twice. Good job, Trish. And she's uh, a lot better for it now. But back to the story, uh, we she was diagnosed, and we obviously had to postpone our wedding and ended up getting married a uh, little bit, little while longer. So anyway, uh, I had these air miles, and I phoned them, and I said, listen, we've had this health situation come up. What can we do about these air miles? You know, can we get a refund to use them later? And, uh, you know, after a little bit, they said, you know what? We're just going to dump these in your account. I'm like, what? Yeah, we're just going to drop 75,000 air miles into your account. Use them for whatever you want. So I was the I was like the king of Kensington when it came to air miles. I was Oprah. Like, you get some air miles. You get some air miles. You get some air miles. I was, I was giving them out. I was Santa Claus of air miles. And one of the trips I used them on was going to Denver. I took the three guys that were going to be in my wedding party. Steve Cole, Jeff Boga, Rob Smith. All Brandon boys. All members of the BBCC. And so I said to them, hey, Neil Young is playing in Denver on a Monday night. And at that time, my days off at Global Television were Monday, Tuesday. I'll pay the air miles. I'll pay the hotel. You guys buy your ticket. And we'll go. Everybody coordinated it somehow, and we had the tickets. We had it booked. So Jeff picks me up. He was living in St. Albert at the time. We drive to the airport, fly to, da- fly to Calgary. Rob and Steve get on the plane. I almost didn't get on the plane. They, they were trying to bump me, and I'm like, uh, I'm with these guys for a uh, concert. Uh, we're on a, a bit of a time deadline, uh, so I need to get on this plane. So anyway, I get on the plane. We get to Denver. Uh, we're all pretty tired, and because uh, those guys uh, – they stayed up fairly late. I was I was the good boy. Uh, immediately grab a couple of two fours uh, from from the nearest liquor store. Uh, you know, start enjoying some Coronas and uh, some other uh, uh, beverages and things of that nature that uh, weren't legal at the time. And uh, proceeded to really enjoy the night. Steakhouse, um, gentlemen's club, sports clubs. The concert was in my opinion, it was awesome. I'm a massive Neil Young fan, so this is the first time I was going to see him. It was at the Wells Fargo Theater in Denver. It was awesome. And then we just happened to find this place that we went to, this establishment where it said dancers drink for free on this particular night. So it was uh, full of uh, very attractive people. Um, It was a a heck of a trip uh, that uh, lasted well into the night and uh, did not go well in the morning for most of us it was a ridiculously tough plane ride home um i i did have most of the bed to to, to, to we we all had to share beds because uh, i'm not that rich i only had seventy five thousand air miles uh, but i was sharing a bed with my friend jeff and he shared uh the bed the the bathroom floor for some reason most of the night and i've never <laughs> seen a guy look more hungover uh than on that trip and i'll tell you for the people that were sitting around us on the plane, I felt sorry for them because it was just booze pouring out of us. So 24 hours in Denver to see Neil Young with three of my best friends. The best short boys trip ever. It was a blast in Denver. By the way, the Boston Bruins have just scored uh, Sean Corrali off of his skate to a stick and puts it past uh, Jordan Biddington 3-2 for the Bruins. All right, as promised, let's get to part two of our interview with former Edmonton Oiler Rob Shrimp, former first-round pick. And in this, uh, we talk uh, mostly about hockey. 
I want to talk a little bit uh, uh, hockey with you now. And uh, you know, like you came to uh, Mississauga from uh, from uh, you were grew up in Fulton, New York, and and it was interesting. That organization seemed to be uh, in turmoil. Like they were like going through tons of coaches. You get traded to London of the Ontario Hockey League. You have great success. You win a Memorial Cup. Like those two organizations couldn't have been more different at the time because the Hunters were building this junior empire that they had. Yeah, you're dead on there. And I mean, I got drafted by Don Cherry. Um, first overall, and a week, like two weeks later, they announced that they had sold the team, which was great. It actually turned out great with Steve Ludzig and the management crew there. They were really good, but it just the, the group that got involved on that I think we're thinking that they were going to make money on it. And, and that's not a hockey bed for junior hockey. The, the, the fans don't come. It's, it's just the way it works there in Mississauga. But so they sold the team and then the new people came in and just started making waves. And it was like, what's going on? A lot of distraction for me talking, you know, even they were trying to rip apart my contract that I had. It was basically very much a family oriented contract where my family, it was so that they could afford to come to see me. <laughs> and they were messing with that. So it got to a point where I was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. This is draft year. And you guys are really going to give me crap over this, this like nickel and dime stuff. Like I didn't ask for a house, a car. I didn't ask for a million dollars. I made it. I wanted it so my family could have could, they couldn't afford to come every weekend. So being a first overall pick, I thought that was something to use that as for my family, not for <laughs> joy rides and stuff. But you know, I didn't think it was fair. So it was very distracting. And, uh, I actually had to get up and leave. I told him, I was like, trade me by this Friday because it wasn't changing. So I said, trade me by Friday. I'm going to go. And I hate that I had to do that. But at that time, I, I, I mean, I really thought I was picking my family side over a hockey club. And that's how I felt about it. Now, I don't think it was really perceived that way. Maybe so much in the, in the hockey world. A lot of my draft meetings, it was brought up and talked about. And, and they thought that I was, you know, maybe just being a spoiled brat kind of thing. But I was just couldn't deal with it. Um, <laughs> I mean, we asked for not much and it was just literally the year one that we had the contract. My parents end up just, just having like, it was perfect amount of money for them to come to see us anyway. So then we went to London and it was, it was great. Dale Hunter is a champion proven winner. Did Mark Hunter as well. The whole, the whole organization, they, it was such a, such a flip because it was very much like an NHL team, you know, it has a big building, had a lot of fans and, uh, the way Dale ran the bench was really every time he got on the bench, he ran it to win the game. And so you could feel that as a player and, and really respect that. So it was, it was great to go there. I, I loved it. And, uh, you know, the first year it was tough. Even I had to earn my time and earn some respect from Dale and, and learn the game defensively. He was more of a shutdown guy when he played and that's what he wanted to instill in me. And then I was a, kind of a offensive gunslinger <laughs> when I first got there. And he's like, no, no, no. That's not how you win championships. So it took a little bit, but I respected it all the way. You know, I took a, hmm. a, a little bit on the chin in the playoffs that year. I got benched for a whole playoff series, but at the end of the day, we got to win a championship the next year. So it wasn't for nothing. Um, it was great. So I, I really respected those guys still do to this day. They're, they're great hockey minds and great people. So they instilled a lot of good things in me for my career. Yeah, I just watched them win a Memorial Cup a few years ago yeah. in uh, Red Deer with uh, another dominant, <laughs> dominant uh, first yeah, line, Mitch so, Marner, who was so really good. good. So, Those kids could play. Yeah, that was it. Was a great line. So you get drafted first, uh, first round by the uh, Edmonton Oilers in uh, two thousand and four, twenty fifth overall. And you know, we we loved you on the Pipeline Show. We we bring you on, Guy and I, as as much as possible. When you think about your time with the Edmonton Oilers, what what comes to mind? You were one of the most talked about prospects ever that that i remember uh what was it like for you i don't know i was very insecure there i never felt secure there i didn't really feel that i fit in there at all um 
starting with with the first couple of meetings I had, even with the staff, I, I, you know, I made mistakes myself, rookie camp. We went out and had fun after, and it probably had too much fun. If I could take that one back, I would. And then, you know, one other instance where I got a kind of a tip off my 19 year old year, I really thought I made the team. And I got a call like a week before the cuts were going to be made saying I was, I was probably going to be sent down. So went out and, and like I said, drank, <laughs> masked what I was going through instead of dealing with it. <clears throat> and that backlash, I really had to, those instances are what things that I, those are the only two times that I could say that I feel like I deserve it smacked around. But other than that, I didn't feel comfortable there. I never really did. It just, I always felt like I was really had a big mountain to climb to prove that I wasn't what people were talking about, you know, cause they, there was those attitude questions because of the draft year I got benched and I demanded a trade. So it was always like, I was fighting that stigma and that, that brush I got painted with. I never could really get under my, I can never get my legs under me and my brain and just feel comfortable. When I feel at home, I'll go. And I mean, I can, I can do some cool things on the ice, but I never felt that way. I felt like I was trying to prove that I was a little tougher or not. I wasn't soft or I was trying to prove that I wasn't slow. Um, I always felt like I was like constantly fighting against something. I don't know. So it was never really comfortable. And I think that kind of proved in, in the amount of games that I played for the, for the organization was so fortunate. I would love to you know, play more games in that building. I really did think it was a special place, but it's just not the way it goes. And, and, you know, they drafted a few guys, Gagne and, and Cogs came in and then they kind of came in as a duo the year after. So it just, I got shoved further down and it just seemed like a, a not much light there for me, to be honest with you. Uh, but that's the way it is. And it was a little bit more, you know, the Western conference is a tougher, tougher conference. Uh, Hemsky's there. There's their skill guy. They don't, maybe they don't need another skill guy like myself. So that I just didn't really make it out. They didn't make it to the lineup and, and every year is, uh, I'm not the guy that's going to come in and, and lift the whole squat rack or jump through the top of the roof. But, uh, you know, when it came to hockey, I felt like I could have contributed a little bit better there. I think so. And uh, like, I'm not saying had you come up, um, this team would have the three Stanley cups. Maybe they yeah, would, maybe you would have been either. the golden ticket. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not that, but, but listen, this organization, it, it, you know, you don't need to be the smartest person in the world, like a Mensa member to figure out that this organization hasn't done things properly and development not just with you in general was one of those issues like the you know split farm teams and they didn't develop goalies properly um so it you know it's in general this organization didn't do a a good enough job um when you think about your time with this organization and and the time you spent in in the american hockey league i I know it was tough because they were bouncing around but i'm sure you still have some pretty good memories of teammates and things like that even though it didn't work out yeah you know there was there was a slew of guys you know actually our first year with with wilkesbury that was that was the best year we had in the minors it was you know, and I think it was very evident of how Pittsburgh dealt with their farm system. You know, they were they were around a lot. Big the big names in the organization were around a lot and involved in making sure they were developing and, and guys that earned spots or earned a chance to come up got a chance to come up, go right up to the big club and, and put an impact in. Um, and then you know, we moved, uh, we moved to Springfield. It just seemed like a big disconnect. I mean, it's so far away from Edmonton for one, two. There was never really. I mean, you're not seeing. I mean, Terry and Michelle Terry was down all time in Wilkes-Barre checking it out for his own vision. You know, that's a big thing. I think I would want to, as a coach, if I could, would be spend some time and watching them because you're then really, you know, that's what makes Mark Hunter such a smart guy. He, he goes, he works his butt off. He goes to games because yeah, you can trust some scouts, but you know, sometimes there's also in, in you know, alternative motives. Guys are a lot of, there's a lot of job protecting in hockey. So guys will, will be like, this guy's the guy, this guy's the guy. The only thing they're saying is because it's their pick. <laughs> you're like, is he the guy? Hmm. Um, I don't think so. 
But if you get a chance to go down there and firsthand watch and see, you're like, you know, you're right. This is, and then it gets you a little bit more trust in that scout. Like, this guy's not going to blow smoke on me. He's going to give me his actual thoughts. Um, that's a big thing that keeps accountability. And it's not, I'm not trying to blow up scouts position, but I'm just saying sometimes it is, it's a little bit of, you know, it's got to be your guy that makes it. And that's what makes a scout. It gets some credibility if he pulls for a guy and they make it. So I think it's important to be around and, and have your own two cents on it and, and watch for yourself. That's, that's a big thing to me. And Wilkes, it was very prominent. Those guys were around a lot when they weren't playing. They, it was not too far of a drive for them, and they'd come and check it out. And it also gave the guys in the room a good feeling. You know, it's a good feeling and to know these guys are around. So you know that they're going to be coming to games. It really makes you step your game up. You're not going to get that lull on, you know, the schedule sucks. It is what it is. You play so many three and threes. But having a game on Sunday and the third game and three nights and knowing that, you know, this could be a chance for the big club to watch you, you, you really have a different mindset. And you can say, well, you should do that every night. Well, you go try to do it with the bus rides and travel and all that crap and, and playing in front of 800 people. Like, oh, you, okay, you bring it. <laughs> like, try. I'm telling you, it's not that easy. Yeah. You know, you're freaking eating soggy subs, uh, subs on the bus or pizza or whatever the crappy restaurant they give you the menu for before the game and driving in the next city trying to get ready for a 3 o'clock game. You know, those yeah, kind be of a, things. Be a dominant professional athlete that way, right? Be a dominant professional athlete uh, with, with that kind it's of tough. Uh, stuff it going really on. Is. And it's, you know, when you're younger, it's not that, but at 20, I, I didn't, I mean, I could get, but, you know, we had guys on our team 34, 35, and, like, the amount of respect you gain from them to see how they pull it off has been, you know, Dennis Bondby, these guys, Matt Kartner. We had tons of cool vets, Elaine Nazardine. He got a chance to go play in the NHL out of, out of Wilkes-Barre because he was down there and he did so many good things as a leader. So they gave him a cookie, you know, they gave him, a, I think it was half a year or maybe 40 games or something. Those things go a long way. It makes it feel like to the next guys, like you, no matter what, this organization is going to give you something if you earn it, right? It doesn't have to be a 21-year-old. It doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be anything. You watch something, you see it with your own eyes, you say, that guy deserves something. Let's give him something. That means something to the rest of the guys because it gives you hope. You get a guy that gets called up and he hasn't had a shot on that in, th- in two weeks and, and you're on a point streak. You're like, what? <laughs> What am I supposed to do? Like, it really gets confusing, mm-hmm. per se, you know? So that's important that the organization is on, you know, they all have the same message, I think, and, and really people are holding those messages to accountability. You have to make sure they're accountable. People are doing what you guys have as a plan. I think that's important for an organization. Not that I'm trying to build one. I'm just kind of rambling right now. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, it, it is. No, it is. Uh, that, that's communication. Communication is is so massive when you're uh, dealing with young players, especially in, in situations where it might be split squads or, or things like that. Uh, so th- you get claimed by the Islanders. You play, uh, I think it was like 90 games over the two seasons. You're uh, you're from New York. That must have been um, just one of, uh, you know, they, they actually gave you a chance. And, hey, what do you know? You you performed. You put up points. It's uh, it's amazing what happens. But, you know, how fun was uh, were those two years with uh, the Islanders? Yeah, it was great. The hockey-wise, it was good. It was, it was amazing. And, um those times I finally got to feel like I, I, I was at home per se. Like I had a home a little bit, you know, and like every day I'd, I wasn't on eggshells walking into the rink kind of like, you know, that way. So it felt really good to, to do that. And I got to make some good friendships and hang out a lot, you know, Mark Strait, all these guys, you know, Kyle Post. So we had some great times, um, <clears throat> not so much success, which is unfortunate, but, um, how, when you finally get a chance to play in the show, it, it's, it felt good. <laughs> it's just good. And my mom and dad could come down you know, they're four hours down the road. So it was, it was a little bit different. Edmonton was very far away. So that was, um, cost 
it's costly. And also my mom has a job, so it wouldn't it'd be taking time off from work, blah, blah, blah. But like with Long Island, they could come down, you know, after she got done work on a Friday afternoon and stay for the weekend and see a game or two. And that was, that was pretty cool. And it felt comforting. Uh, having friends, a bunch of friends came down. My my cousin brought uh, his group of little hockey kids. They were eight or nine years old. They came one game with the Shrimpers, 44, um, shirt, jerseys mm-hmm. on. Like just seeing that kind of stuff really felt good and uh, gave a chance for the people that I grew up that were supporting me. They got a chance to be a little bit closer to me and support it. Uh, even in, I didn't really play in Edmonton, but if I would have, the games are on later. The kids are mostly in bed. Most adults are in bed getting ready for the work week. So they didn't really catch, wouldn't been able to catch games. So Long Island was a great. I was really excited when I got picked up there when I heard uh, when I heard the news from my agent. Then you play uh, a little bit in Atlanta. You end up in Europe, uh, including the KHL. Um, what was your time like in the KHL? I- I've heard uh, you know opposite end stories. Some people say it was a lot of fun. Other people have horror stories. What was your KHL experience like? Um, yeah, it wasn't a very good one. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, just didn't go well. We, uh, three games in, I was on the, I got put on the fourth line, no power play. And then, you know, five games after that, they're yelling at me because I'm not scoring, um, threatening me. And then, you know, unfortunately I got, uh, I got sick, I got stomach bug and they, um, they tried to get out of the contract in in a very sleazy way and very, uh, it's just a sleazy way what they tried to do to me. And it was unfortunate. So. That I just at the end was finally the point. I was like, listen, I'll just I'll pay to leave. <laughs> just get me out of here. I'm I'm good. This is not my. You get only get so much life. You know, so many days that I don't need to spend them like this. Money's not is not everything to me. I never did play hockey for money. Um, I played always for the love of it. I think you know money came because he did a good job at it. That's great. Blah blah blah. But it was never like, oh, I gotta get paid. Oh, I gotta get paid. I'm go for money. And, and all my contracts were indicative of that. I never demanded or wanted more or whatever. Just okay, that sounds good. Let's go play. Okay, the money part's done. Let's stop talking about it. Can I? Go, let's go play hockey. But with this one, it was just not treated like a human. <laughs> so, uh, and it wasn't. In, it was outside of Russia, but uh, and the team was in the KHL, and it was just something else. It made me really shy to go back. I never did go back. I was like, nope. If that's what's going to happen in this place, I can't even imagine. It. I don't know. It was unfortunate because I went there really excited and wanted to help and be a big part of it. And, you know, that was my enthusiasm. And I, and you get met like right away, it was like almost they would, instead of like pick you up and support you and, and try to see what you could, how far they could take you by supporting you. It was like, instead I just got kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked and then like dance, 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 dance monkey, you know, and that kind of thing. It was never like, you're never even on the same page. So it's kind of at one point, like, why did you bring me here? <laughs> like seriously, why did you, if you needed a whipping bag, just go buy a punching bag. Like, I don't, I don't, you don't need me to fly in here and pay me X amount of dollars to basically shit on me the whole time and then ruin my IRA. Like we mentioned, I, had, I always had my own stuff I was trying to take care of mentally. And this this was no help. <laughs> like none. I wasn't, you know, there's times when maybe when I was younger, I was a little bit wild. and You know, I, I was boozing a lot. And there's reasons for that. I never told anybody. But like, you know, there's this time I, I understood that that was not right. And I grew up by the time I was 23 after 24 in Long Island, I was very much more mature than when I was 19 or 20. And I realized the dumb mistakes I made earlier. And in this, in this situation, I wasn't, it was not deserving um, at all of what was happening. So it was kind of frustrating because then it's like, what, like, is this like, they essentially they tried to fire me by blood testing me for alcohol. <laughs> and I wasn't drinking at all. Wow. I was not drinking. I had the stomach flu. I had diarrhea for like 10 times a day. So 
I, I was like, what, like, is this because of my reputation? Like, this is what's happening because of that. Like, this is crazy because what I, I don't know. I think, yeah, sometimes when you, when you do act the way I did when I was younger, a little bit wild, you do, you know, wrap up a reputation. But at the end of the day, when I show up to your team and I'm acting like a professional, I am being professional. That is what I'm representing. And that's who I am right now. Don't say, well, we heard about, heard this about you when you're younger kind of thing. Like that doesn't play. <laughs> like, what do you, that's not true. <laughs> I'm not doing that here. If I was coming into the rink every day with smelling of like harsh booze, like, yes, okay. I got like, that's not right. That's not how you'd be a professional. Um, but that wasn't the case. So it was very frustrating to get kind of, I don't know, shafted. Well, yeah, you, you're shafted by your pat. Listen, uh, I, I'm not the same person I was when I was 21 years old either. We all do uh, different things growing up, but you learn from them and you learn from those experiences. And it's unfortunate that, you know, people brand you uh, the same person you were, uh, you know, you know, back then. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, it sounds like you've obviously, uh, you know, become a different person than you were when you were uh, 19, 20, like, like we all are. And, that, and yeah. that's what happens. What was your favorite stop in Europe? You, you played in uh, Sweden. And, and Jason Strudwick has said great things about what his time in uh, Sweden. He absolutely loved it. But what was your favorite stop in Sweden and, and why? Yes, or Sweden in, was, in Europe, rather, it, and why? Sweden was uh, I had a lot of fun in moto. That was my first year at the NHL. It was a big, you know, <clears throat> culture shock and stuff. But it, it, the hockey-wise, I loved it because the league was really good. The hockey was really structured, and it was you're treated as professionals. Um, the, just in our team alone, we had Marcus Nazel was the general manager. Peter Forsberg was the assistant general manager and Alf Samuelson was the head coach. So those guys wow. were, you know, you know, you really got a good product there as far as, uh, as a player, you knew you had a good support system and they were, you know, they wanted to win and they knew how to win. Uh, that was great. That was, that was my favorite time, um, in, in Europe. The, the rest of them were, were good too, but it was, um, some of the, the way it worked, I kind of were on like teams that had a struggling year the year before. And coming in, there was a ton of expectation and a ton of pressure on me to, to rectify that, or I don't know what they expected. But, I'm, I mean, I never claimed to be a Sidney Crosby, but I don't even know if he could have made the team into a first place. <laughs> so there was a lot of that, you know, kind of expectations and pressure, and it was like it felt a lot of stress. Um, but, the, you know, living in these countries were, were really cool to be able to pick up the culture. Uh, I married a Latvian girl, um, really the culture over there is just totally different and getting a chance to see certain things, you know, being in Switzerland, the mountains and the ski life and uh, the way of life is, is amazing. And it's very different than what, where I grew up for sure. Um, so those, those experiences I, I, I absolutely cherish and, and really appreciative of the fact that I got to go play in Europe. All right. The Stanley cup final uh, gets underway tonight. Um, what do you think of this uh, St. Louis blues story? You know, the Boston Bruins, they they've recently won a Stanley cup beating Vancouver uh, a few years back and they've, uh, you know, always been around this, this blues story this year from being in last place and firing their coach at one point to now being in the final. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? I think it's amazing. Yeah. And it's really good for, for Berube, Craig Berube. I think he's put his time in and really worked hard. And, you know, he's done a, a great job with that team. That's, that's insane. Yeah, I think it was January 1st. They were in last place. And they talk about this glorious story, which is even better because it's just, it's such a typical, not typical, but like kind of a hockey story, you know, like boys get together or some dive bar and some stupid song is like their 
rally cry. <laughs> it turns out those these guys <laughs> ride this wave. Like I don't know what other sports that happens in, but it's just so indicative of, of kind of a hockey team when all it takes is, is the team to bond together over something, whatever that may be. I know they had a couple fights in practice there. You know, maybe this stuff is what rectified it all and kind of got the bullshit out of the way, and they could just then all be like, let's go be brothers and play hockey, and then we'll see what happens. And and you know, sometimes I get said in the room, but the, the part they miss is the part where you go bond together. You need to bond. You need to have something. Not that everybody's going to like each other, but like if there's just a mutual respect in the sense that we all know we're going to show up at 7:30 and try to win every single game. Um, that's important and that takes bonding off the ice for sure. So that's what those guys are kind of riding on. I think it's a great story, but they're a great team. I don't know how they were even last place, but you look at that lineup, they got some great players and they got role players that step up. That Schwartz guy's a great story. Uh, Tarasenko's always fun to watch. Their decor is unbelievable. I got a chance to spend some time with Jay Bolmeister when I was rehabbing my MCL surgery with, uh, with Dr. Re- uh, sorry, with, um, Fibber was our rehab guy. So we were there every morning, 6 a.m. at the U of A. And uh, to see him get a chance here for a cup is great. Yeah, it's a, it's a good story. And it, the, you looked at the changes they made in the offseason, and nobody could understand how they were in last place. It was just weird. Like, yeah. the, you know, O'Reilly, O'Reilly and Bozak alone. Uh, O'Reilly were, were too, Ryan. Such yeah. good ad- additions. Yeah. Yep. So. O'Reilly, he's a great guy. He's a London guy, too. So I've seen him around quite a bit. Right. I spent a lot of time up in London. He's a cool, cool cat, and he's a hell of a hockey player. So. I think, yeah, he, he's a great day. He's been, I don't know, I'd say right up there. Him and Tarasenko are one and two, in my opinion, on the team as far as his uh, leadership and, and uh, great players. Do you have a pick of who you think will win? I don't. It's just, I, don't. I, 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 I honestly, I think, I think St. Louis, if it gets to be a physical match, I mean, you got, look at the size of St. Louis, a lot in their favor. If it's going to go physical, if it's going to go skilled, I mean, you're talking Schwartz is on fire. You're talking Tarasenko's on fire. O'Reilly, they got gunpowder, firepower as well. Uh, goaltending that Bennington comes in and he's, stand, you know, uh, cool stuff. So I think it, it could be, there's ways it could go. I mean, Rask, look at his series last series. Though, I think, what was he, like a 95% save percentage? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And he's he was, got a 947 oh right now. Oh, my God. Yeah, and he, and he was unreal, too. Like, these weren't like, it wasn't like they weren't getting shots on that. Like, these were, he, the last couple games I saw, they were, he was like, he was staying, first shot save, second shot, third, three shot rebounds. He's, standing on his head and shutting the door. So that was an athletic, great performance by a goal. So this could be anyway, it could be a physical battle. It could be a goaltending battle. It could be a, uh, a ball hockey series. It could go either way, which is exciting. You know, sometimes when you get to the finals and one team kind of limped there or like did everything they could to get there, um, you know, which way he's going to go right now. I, I honestly can't, I'd say, I, I think St. Louis, but it's not that clear. <laughs> not clear cut at all let's just hope it goes seven games and that's just what I four want. of them are in overtime right <laughs> yeah, that's all i want i want more hockey games that's how i was sitting and watching a couple establishments and the people i was like begging for a goal and they're like we want that i'm like i don't care what team wins i just want overtime <laughs> right right what's the longest overtime game you ever played in what do you remember about it uh two overtimes that was actually in salzburg yeah it was just like nerve-wracking the whole time anything that got near the net is you're always like you quench either you're excited because your team's near the net or you're like you're uh, uh, don't score, don't score, right? Because you're like I mean, a fan, when, right? Yeah, you turn into a fan, really, because you never know. And it's usually guys are just literally gas. So it's like, where's it? you don't see where the play is going to come to to have a game winning goal opportunity because everybody's so tired. You don't have that extra burst to blow by a guy or make an extra move. It's like, how are we going to get a goal? It's almost like it seems impossible because it took you five periods that we were here playing hockey. Nobody's got the goal. When's it going to come? So you start almost like wonder when are they going to come? How's it going to come? I better be ready, kind of thing. You really try to stay mentally sharp in case you get like a backdoor pass. You don't want to fan on it because you, you just thought this 
backdoor pass will never come. Playoff overtime in hockey is there there's nothing uh, better than it in uh, my mind. Okay, so we uh, will wrap things up here and really appreciate your time today with uh, something we do it's called your favorite. So I'll just ask you something about uh, your favorites and and just give me an answer quick whatever comes to your mind. Your favorite movie as a kid. Young blood. <laughs> that is so awesome. That is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> Ever. I we could do another 2 hours on that movie and maybe someday we'll have you back and do that. Your favorite TV <laughs> show right now. Billions. Oh, yeah. I love the one actor is uh, from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, she was uh, uh, the wife exactly, in the Sons yeah. of Anarchy. Tara. So I love, yeah, Tara, she that's Tara right. Sons of Anarchy. It's, it's either Billions or uh, my wife and I are watching This Is Us. It's a great family show. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Favorite actor, male or female? Favorite actor, uh, I'd have to go with, uh, I'm a big fan of Denzel, or I, I was a big fan of uh, Robin Williams. Very good. Halle Berry would be the woman. Favorite type of music? Dave Matthews Band, Ben Howard, my two nice. picks. I always listen to those two. Favorite sports team as a kid? Yankees. Excellent. Are you a big baseball fan? I, I was. Yeah, I don't religiously watch. My dad watches all every single game. <laughs> every game. Wow. <laughs> he loves it. He's talking <laughs> game five. He's talking about how they're, how they're not looking at this <laughs> season. You know what I mean? He gets it. I'm like, Dad, it's five games in. Let's talk at 140 games. We'll, then we'll get into it. But no, I, I love baseball. I think it's cool. I think it's a really cool game in, in the yeah, the intricacies in the in the baseball are cool. A lot of funny pranks. They got so much time to screw around with each other. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, there's, there's there's nothing like it. Your favorite meal? Uh, lobster. Nice. And your favorite snack? Favorite snack? Peanut butter and jelly. Really? Just a yeah. Peter PBJ sandwich. I love PBJs. Can't go wrong. Awesome, Rob Shrimp. Thank you so much. You were uh, from the first interview we ever did with you. You're always a straight shooter. You did that again today on uh, Sports and More. I really appreciate the time. Uh, we've almost been an hour here. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to go this long, but I really appreciate your openness, uh, what you're doing right now. And uh, you know, like I said, we'll get you on the Cannabis 101 podcast uh, down the road to talk about uh, a little bit more about uh, Veda Sports. Thanks so much for joining me today, and uh, we'll uh, stay in touch. Hey, I appreciate it, and I'm uh, also really happy to hear your wife's doing well, and, uh, and that's a good story. I'm happy for you, and uh, thanks for having me. And anytime, let me know if you want me on. I'll, I'm more than willing to, and I uh, appreciate it. That was a great conversation, and I really thank Rob Shrimp for his time and his openness uh, yesterday. All right, uh, just a few things to take care of in this uh, final segment of the Sports and More podcast. Thanks so much for downloading. Please subscribe, and uh, you'll get it uh, every Monday when it comes out, and you'll get uh, brilliant stuff like what I'm going to do right now. Great John Candy characters. Of course, the legendary John Candy from Canada and one of the funniest comedians of all time. Last week we did an SCTV character. We're moving a movie character, and maybe we'll go back and forth, but uh, this is what we are uh, celebrating today. I'm a mog. Half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. Of course, that is Spaceballs playing Barf, a mog. And, uh, you know, Spaceballs is just one of those classic uh, parodies. Uh, you know, the the uh, Scream parody started coming out in the last 10, 15 years. There's some funny ones, but Spaceballs, um, you know, one of the ultimate parodies, parodying, of course, uh, Star Wars is the big one. But Star Trek, uh, there was a scene in there about Alien, Planet of the Apes. Uh, and it's Mel Brooks, and you know Mel Brooks was just a comedic genius. Uh, and J John Candy was a major part. He played uh, Bill Pullman's sidekick, uh, Rick Moranis, as <laughs> using the Schwartz and things like that. The 
There's so many great one-liners. Uh, I love the guy Jones from Police Academy. I, I can't remember his name. He makes all the sound effects, and he's really great in that, and like ludicrous speed. There's so many great one-liners. So if you just want to sit down, if your kids have never seen Spaceballs and they and they have a good sense of humor, you should sit down and watch it with them because there is just some really great, funny one-liners, uh, and uh, you know it's a it's a great movie. And, and John Candy uh, is is an excellent character in that one. So celebrating a, a great John Candy character, uh, Barf in the movie. Spaceballs. As for cool of the week, this is just something that I'm uh, excited about or I found out about, uh, and it uh, could be a movie, a book, a video game. Uh, this week, I'm going with Deadwood the movie. It comes out this Friday. I just finished watching the three-season series that was on HBO. I loved it. I'm a huge Western fan, so I can't wait for this movie. I don't know why they ended it. I'll tell you this. If I was a Deadwood fan watching it live... I would have been like, uh, why do you mean you're ending it that way? Because I didn't think the ending was that great. So I hope we get some answers in the movie. And what I've done, I'm going to do this for different TV series that I've watched. I have done the uh, Deadwood NHL Awards in honor of the Deadwood movie coming out this Friday. So first of all, the Conn Smythe will be named after the movie on May 31st. But the Art Ross goes to Seth Bullock. And spoiler alert, there will be some uh, give, uh, hints given away in talking about this series. So if you haven't seen Deadwood, uh, you may not want, you may want to uh, just uh, skip ahead. But uh, Seth Bullock gets the uh, Art Ross. Uh, overall, I think he tried to do the most good in Deadwood. Uh, the Rocket Richard goes to Al Swearingen. Uh, he, uh, you know, orchestrated and, and racked up a, a lot of uh, uh, hit, uh, uh, kills, which you could look at goals maybe. Uh, the Hart Trophy. That goes to George Hurst. Yeah, George Hurst, the villain. Because he came in and just took everything, man. They just let him. And I don't know what's going to happen in the movie, but in the series, George Hurst is the Hart Trophy winner. Uh, he's a latecomer, and he just dominated them all. You know, he did lose a man. Um, uh, but listen, George Hurst, he took over. Uh, the Ted Lindsay, though, chosen by the cast members, would be Seth Bullock. Overall, best moral character, even though did some interesting things. Uh, the Vesna Trophy goes to Trixie. Uh, she was a savior. She helped uh, Alma Garrett get through her uh, a drug addiction. Uh, she helped uh, her get through her uh, pregnancy situation. So she was uh, making a lot of saves, and that gets her the Vesna Trophy. The Norris goes to Charlie Utter, uh, who was also in Sons of Anarchy, that character, um, or that actor, rather. And uh, Charlie Utter is a, this is a good quarterback. He was trying to get Wild Bill Hillcock on the uh, straight and narrow before things untimely ended for him. So he'd be a good quarterback on the power play. So that's why he gets the Norris. The Selkie goes to uh, A.W. Merrick on the defensive with his uh, medium, uh, his newspaper. Uh, the Jack Adams goes to Whitney Ellsworth. He ran the mine, so good game plan. So that would be a, a good coach. The Calder goes to Blazanov, the Russian, um, what's the word, a telegraph operator that came in late in the series. So uh, he gets the uh, Calder. I don't know why. Uh, the Lady Bing goes to Richardson. Remember Richardson? He was E.B. Farnham's cook and uh, was a bit of a simpleton. That guy, unfortunately, the, the actor has passed away now, but that character was, didn't exist. 
they just noticed this guy doing some interesting things on the set and they thought we got to expand this and then they got some speaking roles and he had the antlers and actually turned out to quite an interesting uh, character so he gets the lady bing because he was harmless he, he didn't want to hurt anybody he prayed to antlers and the bill masterson elsewhere engine coming back from those uh, stones or whatever it was uh, that he suffered from so that is the uh, deadwood nhl awards and uh, like i said the consmith will be named after the movie on may 31st all right and the final thing we'll do is the obscenely rich list this is uh things that you would do if you were obscenely rich and uh, you can uh, send your thoughts to me at duck millard my uh, my idea for the obscenely rich list this week is a cattle drive uh, i know they don't need to be done anymore uh, but i would do one every year uh, maybe twice a year because i would have a ranch because i would be obscenely rich i would literally drive my cattle wherever i could i would you know, like try to free up some land. I don't, I don't know how it works. Listen, I have, I'm a city guy. I would spend like two weeks a year on a farm, but now when I get obscenely rich, I want to buy a ranch, ride horses and pretend I know what I'm doing. So I'd figure out some way of doing a cattle drive and, uh, you know, living out a wild west fantasy. So that's my, uh, item on the obscenely rich list. Listen, I had a lot of fun again this week. I'm looking forward to doing it again next Monday. Uh, the Prospects Baseball Show is also out right now after a 2-0 start. And don't forget the Cannabis 101 podcast will debut on Wednesday. You can find all of that information at podcastalley at deanmillard.ca. I'd like to thank Rob Shrimp for his time this week and uh, a really excellent and open interview. Also want to say a big thank you to Christine Bandelow and Kevin Dabbs. Uh, you will hear Christine as the voice of the Cannabis 101 podcast on Wednesday. Kevin Dabbs, the voice of this show, also the Prospects Baseball Show. Uh, they're wonderful actors. You can see them at the Mayfield from time to time. And if you're looking for great voice work, uh, just let us know. We'll put you in touch. Thanks so much for listening. Playtime is over.